Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. From the Milton Metz studio in the radio TV building at Indiana University, this is Noon Edition. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, along with co-host WFIU, WTIU education reporter, Jeannie Lindsay. Education, especially school funding, was the subject of much debate during the Indiana legislative session that ended last week. Today on the program, we'll talk with four guests about how the negotiations turned out. The guests are Rod Bray, who's an Indiana State Senator for District 37 and President Pro Tem of the Indiana State Senate. Laura Hammock is the Superintendent of Brown County Schools. Chris Lagoni is the Executive Director of the Indiana Small and Rural School Association. And John Kinney is Director of Business Operations of the Monroe County Community School Corporation. You can join us on the program by calling 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So it's really great to have all four of you in here, and Jeannie, it's good to be back with you. Thank you. It's good to be here. hosted once before. <laughs> yeah. So I want to start with uh, Senator Bray and just sort of – Talk about the overview of the session as it as it relates to education funding and education issues in general. Well, thank you. Yeah, first of all, the biggest the biggest piece is the budget, and uh, we were pleased to be able to add well, about uh, um, 539 million dollars more to the tuition support, and about 763 million overall to the tuition. And so, uh, that would be the biggest piece. We had a lot of discussions also, though, about school security unfortunately these days we here in Indiana are facing that as you as you all know and so we passed a referendum that would allow uh, a school district to uh, raise some revenue for their school security purposes and also some uh, um, some language about oh some uh, getting some uh, dollars for mental health in the school systems as well so those are some of the highlights okay so uh, John Kenny how about that from your perspective with MCCSC uh, from our perspective, it's uh, in the last maybe two months of the session, it's, it's been some ups and downs of, of what we were following and trying to analyze for, uh, for our school district. Um, at, right at the end, uh, the amounts kind of solidified and, and we knew pretty much what we would get for the next two years. And uh, it did go up last week or, or 10 days. And uh, I'd certainly like to thank uh, some of the people representing our district and the organizations we work with. Uh, my my, uh, my organization is the IASBO, and uh, Mr. Kosterison Coster uh, has been keeping us informed of the changes and mainly uh, what we're watching pretty carefully uh, in general is the uh, amount per student, the uh, um, basic tuition support or a lot of different names for it, but um, we're pretty pleased with the the increase that happened right in the last week, uh, at least as a, in terms of one year to the next. Still some issues long term uh, and, and teacher equity that we're uh, fighting for and trying to, to work with everyone on. Um, but but we do appreciate the effort that, that uh, came together with uh, uh, the legislature and Mr. Kusterison's uh, guidance on, on letting us know what had happened exactly uh, in the final version of the bills. Okay. So uh, moving forward, we're, we're analyzing, we're, we're trying to determine uh, projections for our district, we're trying to determine uh, what the reduction in the turf amount from seven and a half to five and a half percent means dollar-wise for us. And uh, Can you uh, define that a little bit, turf? Uh, Mr. Gray could, could help, but in, in general, the, the teacher retirement fund has a contribution from each district 
that uh, I don't know how many years, but it's been at seven and a half percent for quite a while. And so each teacher is sort of tied in with seven and a half percent of their salary is turned over, not turned over, put in a retirement account with the state for future uh, pension benefits. And uh, the state has uh, dropped that from seven and a half to, to five and a half percent. That's the two and a half, two percent I'm referring to. That uh, is a, uh, a reduction in the amount that districts have to uh, pay with each uh, payroll. Um, okay. And, and it, it should be beneficial, but we're analyzing the dollar amount of that. Okay. We'll get into some of these details or some of these issues in a little more detail. I want to ask uh, Laura Hammock and, and Chris next. Uh, Laura first, the superintendent of schools out in Brown County, uh, about you know your views on how the session went. Right. We are really grateful for the work that was conducted on behalf of the General Assembly. I know it was a, a challenging, um, long uh, session for our legislators and really do appreciate that um, education was a priority uh, throughout the session. Uh, really, the dollars that have been allocated to education are historic, and um, we are grateful uh, for that attention and focus and um, really appreciated the conversations that were related to to teacher compensation as well. Uh, certainly an important uh, point of consideration um, at this time for Indiana educators. Brown County Schools, we are a small rural school district and we are a school district that is currently experiencing an enrollment decline. There are several reasons for that. We could get into that later if you are interested. But with an enrollment that is declining, that ultimately translates into less dollars for our school district. Um, and that's a reality that we knew uh, was in our forecast. Um, we have been doing a lot of uh, projection work with demographics and really our long-term five to 10 year forecast is that Brown County will continue to see enrollment decline because the population for child um, uh, student enrolled um, children as well as child rearing aged adults is continuing to decline and that's just playing out into the future. So the way that the budget is um, organized in Indiana is really number of boys and girls times that tuition support uh, that was mentioned previously really translates into the dollars that you receipt. Uh, so for our school district, we um, are in a position where we're we're in a rather unique situation in the state. Um, really only about 20% of schools in the state are experiencing the situation that Brown County is in where our forecast financially will actually be down in this biennium. Um, it could have been a lot worse uh, if, if we hadn't had the levels of funding that were realized um, within this uh, last cycle, uh, then really the forecast for our dollars receipted could have been even worse. Uh, so we are grateful for the efforts and uh, though we'll be experiencing about $200,000 in decline in this biennium per year, uh, we're working to make those adjustments mm -hmm. that we need to do. All right. And Chris, you represent the uh, smaller schools and you have small and rural schools. So how did you see the session? I thought it was a collaborative session. Mm -hmm. uh, Every group worked hard together so that we kind of had a unified message, and I think that was something new this year that you know we were working with our partners in urban schools and uh, the growing in suburban schools and tried to come up with some uh, unified concepts that uh, most could support. You know, when I speak to our members, you know, we used to have the small schools grant. Uh, that bill was uh, authored again by uh, Representative Manning. Uh, it didn't have any political momentum, uh, but. Uh, in lieu of that, our members were very interested in driving as many dollars as possible to tuition support. And so uh, that's what we tried to do. Uh, the other benefit is, you know, we have to praise the governor and his leadership on the pension benefit that uh, John mentioned. That's primarily targeted at, at K-12 public schools. If you look at a teacher retirement fund uh, reduction of $70 million uh, per year over uh, both years of the budgets, that's mostly going to benefit public schools because mostly public school teachers are paying into that pension benefit. So we saw that as a benefit for K-12 publics. We were also pleased with the TAG grants. Our members, some of them, uh, are in what's called deficit financing because of declining enrollment and increasing of the teacher uh, TAG grants, that's specific dollars that could help teachers. Uh, that went up to 37.5. That's the highest it's been. Uh, I think in 15, maybe it was at 40 in the second year of the budget, uh, but it had been 30 for the last couple budgets. And so we saw that as a, a definite uh, progress to helping teachers. 
you know, how much do- how many dollars are enough? You know, there, there, there's never enough. We, there's been some real documentation of the amount of dollars it would take to get us to, um, you know, pre-property uh, tax changes of, you know, when we transitioned our funding. But this was a significant step forward, and we, uh, we labeled it as a success for, for schools. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the issues with enrollment are there. Mm-hmm. Jeannie? So teacher pay has been kind of the the subject that has kind of been threaded throughout all of these school funding conversations. So uh, Senator Bray, I wanted to talk to you just about how the teacher voice impacted conversations around, you know, the final budget agreement. Um, there have been walk-ins around the state where, you know, teachers are drawing attention to pay and a couple of statehouse rallies to, to draw attention there. So I just want to talk about the impact of that in the state house you know while those conversations were happening and then maybe maybe at the local level you know now that session is wrapped up well the teachers were in the forefront of our mind the entire time and uh, they were good about coming up to the state house and having conversations with me and other people in the general assembly and uh, as uh, you, as you followed along with the, the legislative session i think a, a constant part of that conversation was teacher pay and uh, figuring out how we could find a way to move that needle. It gets a little complicated when you talk about the General Assembly moving teacher pay, though, as I'll probably all know in this room that uh, if we don't set the, the, uh, the pay for teachers, we set the amount of money that goes to each school district <clears throat> based upon the number of students that are there. And we are very reticent to uh, try and invade the province of an elected school board to say exactly where those monies should go to. Uh, I, in addition, we're pretty pretty hesitant to uh, get involved in uh, or interfere with the local collective bargaining, which I didn't, I didn't have anybody tell me this legislative session that they wanted us to do. So for us to really dictate what that pay would be to be would be getting in, into the way of those two items. But so we just really focused on making sure we could funnel as much money as possible to the uh, to the school systems in the hopes that some of that would be transferred into teacher pay. And the one thing that does get right into the teacher's pockets are those TAG grants that, that we've indicated here, um, Chris, that you indicated, increased about $7.5 million a year. We were proud to be able to do that as well. Can, can you just explain TAG grants a little bit? Yeah, so uh, maybe somebody else can do it better. But the bottom line is that this is money that if a teacher has um, a rating of uh, uh, effective or highly effective, then the money... Uh, the school has uh, so much money that can be delineated to those teachers as a grant. It doesn't go into their pay, so it doesn't increase their base, which is one of the frustrations with it, but it does go into their pockets, and uh, uh, that's, that's in essence what it is. And, and since session has ended and, you know, we have the school runs and the, the budget, um, can, can maybe Laura and John, uh, maybe Chris, if you want to hop in, talk about the, the conversations with educators, you know, seeing this with, the, you know, the TAG grants, but school funding that goes to different school districts differently, uh, which will ultimately impact their ability to boost pay. Sure. I can speak uh, locally in Brown County. We've been really in a mode right now of kind of distilling the action of the General Assembly to try to better understand how um, each of the bills translates in Brown County. Our Educators Association is active, and we are very grateful for a collaborative relationship with our Educators Association. And uh, I think it's fair to say that even though we, we understand that enrollment drives the dollars, and so our reality will be that dollars are, are going to be less for us over the next two years, um, I believe that our educators are very excited about the action uh, that was proposed by the governor, which was really an innovative idea uh, to take um, those pension dollars um, from that state reserve to be able to kind of help to pay down um, that that pension liability. Uh, that translates into real dollars in Brown County. We've we've made those runs, and we are actually looking at about a hundred thousand dollars that are um, able ultimately to be realized, uh, receded sort of back into our um, education fund to ultimately be distributed. And, and $100,000 in a district our size is, is real money. And that's money that we feel like once we make the cuts in order to accommodate for less dollars receded in the biennium, uh, we'll be able to use those dollars for the purpose that they're intended. So um, I absolutely agree. I think that our educators are, are very motivated and excited about that action, um, and it's really translating into something that's that's quite real in our school corporation. Mm-hmm. Well, we're at Monroe County, we're 
also analyzing as well as we can the, the changes and uh, as uh, the two other panelists with me here in the um, declining enrollment uh, environments and we have lots of discussions in our corporation about what certain things mean for different districts, our neighbors, et cetera. Um, the last two years uh, at Monroe County, we've had a down enrollment year followed by an up enrollment year. So um, it's a little tough to predict exactly where you'll be with your September count uh, for your ADM, which leads to your per pupil math on how, many, how much dollars you get. So we're sort of budgeting and thinking steady state rather than, than an increase helps you quite a bit and a decrease you have to sort of sort out as it's uh, become apparent at October 1st or wherever it is. But uh, we're, we're also watching, uh, we have a collective bargaining uh, uh, fall session this year. Uh, we have our budget that we sort of finish in August and we're trying to tie the two together about what the extra dollars from the 2% uh, turf reduction m mean, as well as the strong increase in the uh, per pupil amount, 2.5% uh, per year. But for us, it's a little varied. We're a little higher in the first year, a little lower in the second year. Um, but we, we tie all that into ADM projections, so a per or what our enrollment would be, basically, and then what the extra dollars from the 2% mean and uh, then try to tie that into how we're allowed to work with the collective bargaining agreement in a sense how do, how do we build uh, anything we might want to do if we do discover we have ac extra money due to enrollment being steady and then the increases provided by the legislation um, so it, it's a it's a to be determined but a, a an in process that we've grabbed right away and had meetings on and been doing as much calculation as we can uh, with pre preliminary information at the moment that uh, will be more solidified as weeks and uh, interpretations pass. So we're, we're very excited and we're, we're trying to do everything we can preliminarily to make sure uh, uh, we're as accurate as possible with the information we have. And, then, and, and every discussion I've had is let's get this money to the teachers, let's, let's do what we can. And uh, so we're, we're all in with and appreciative of the increased dollars that are available so that we can come up with the best uh, method of, of getting, uh, getting our teachers, in a sense, what they deserve, but what they've earned, et cetera. So. Chris, hold your thoughts for just a second. I'm going to give our phone numbers, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Chris? I was just going to mention that I would echo what the two panelists just said, Lauren and John. I've been across the state speaking with different superintendents and business managers, and right now they're collecting some data. Besides looking at the new dollars, mm -hmm. they're also figuring out what their new costs are. So there's two parts of budget. First, you figure out what your revenue opportunities are, and then you're looking at your costs. One of the big costs that's being hit right now is uh, people are hearing from their insurance trusts. Schools work together, and they pool uh, large insurance trusts. I mean, we're talking 20, 50, sometimes uh, school corporations together. And so those trusts are meeting and figuring out, okay, what's going to be our health care costs for the next uh, year or so? And, you know, that is a, that is a driver of – uh, school salaries as much as anything. And I know that's one of the big topics of the governor's uh, study group. Sure. I, don't, I know the official name, but as they look together, and, and I listen to ISTA and different uh, groups at the state house, you know, trying to figure out how, what can we do about health care costs so that we're getting the best bang for our buck uh, and driving more dollars to salaries. And we know prescription meds costs are just, it's what's hitting those health care right. costs. Senator uh, Bray, you've talked about before. I, I know there were a couple of bills that, that were suggesting there should be a minimum salary for teachers and things of that nature. You talked about how you don't think it's the role of the, of the legislature to set teacher salaries. These folks are talking about how, you know, you've provided them money and now they're going to work to try to figure figure it out. So that's the way it should work, right? It's the way it feels like it should work to me. I mean, if we set a if we set a basic minimum salary across the state, that might be great for some school districts. It might be unfair for other school districts because the cost of living varies across the state. And so uh, we you know, we want to avoid trying to do a one size fits all and let the capable creative people in the school districts come up with 
the ways that they can uh, uh, structure their um, uh, their contracts and their uh, their arrangements with their with their staff and their teachers. What were some of the other issues that you all talked about when it came to how can we get more money to teachers? I know you, you've got the grants uh, as one area. Well, the, were there the, other ideas? Yeah, well, the, the TAG grants, the teacher appreciation grants, are obviously one. The governor's idea of the hundred and fifty million dollar uh, pay down, which came from a uh, some uh, kind of some reserves out of a Medicaid, some Medicaid spending. And uh, that's a neat opportunity that it was pretty creative, as, as uh, uh, Laura Hammock already indicated. And that that is the hope there is that it provides maybe a 1% savings to the school district school districts per year and that they can use those monies then to help uh, funnel that into some teacher pay. And um, <clears throat> so, you know, those were some of the those were some of the biggest ideas. Mm-hmm. Well, there was another bill, House Bill 1003, that kind of uh, focuses on, you know, schools balancing their budgets in such a way where they keep dollars in the education fund that goes to teacher pay. So um, I guess one of the things that I've been curious to hear more about is, I guess, how how lawmakers and the General Assembly kind of came to this idea of the 85-15 balance being, you know, something that needs to be a priority to, to really, I guess, kind of pressure schools to keep money in those accounts. Well, right. It, it was a House bill that came out of the, they came out of the House, obviously, and um, it was the idea that let's, let's continue to try and focus. There were some conversations leading up to that about what the uh, a percentage in any particular school district of money go into other things, including, um, you know, uh, administration costs, with the idea that they want to get as much of the money as possible to uh, into the classrooms and, and, and into the into the hands of the teachers, and so that's the spirit of it. And it really is is certainly not a mandate, so schools aren't required to do it, but it's just a way to try and. Uh, shine some light on that issue and try and get uh, school districts to focus on that issue. We're talking about school funding today on Noon Edition. The legislature was just uh, just adjourned, and the school corporations now have a little bit more idea of what kind of funding they're going to have. Uh, we're going to be back after a short break. We've got a lot more to talk about. You're listening to Noon Edition. From the Milton Met studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg along with Jeannie Lindsay, and we're talking today about school funding uh, and the end of the legislative session. So we've got four great guests here in the studio with us. Rod Bray is the Indiana State Senator for District 37, and he's the president pro tem of the Indiana State Senate. Laura Hammock is superintendent of the Brown County Schools. John Kinney is Director of Business Operations of the Monroe County Community School Corporation. And Chris Lagoni is the Executive Director of the Indiana Small and Rural School Association. If you have questions or comments, please give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions to the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. I want to reiterate that I'm really pleased to have all four of you here because school funding is not a simple issue. And all four of you are experts in school. All five of you, counting Jeannie, are experts (laughs) in school funding. And, you know, all the different um, things that go into it and the school funding formula and how much per student and this 85-15 rule and everything, it's really complicated. So I applaud you all. I'm really glad you're here to answer all of our questions. 
Chris, you had some comments you wanted to make? We, throughout the session, had expressed concerns about 1003 because uh, there had been some previous things that were funded by the general fund, and we have no revenue to cover them on the uh, operations side, custodial salaries, uh, maintenance salaries, and then overflow of utility costs. Utility costs weren't always able to be able to covered by the full what was called the capital projects fund and so uh, that's one of the things that we express concerns are there's some school districts just based on you know what their levy for utilities was uh, may not be able to hit that target initially and if it's some of the same factors year after year tiff um, you know tax caps hits and then utility costs you know would the same players be labeled as you know outside the parameters year after year We'll see. Uh, the targets have been established, but uh, that was some of our concerns. Is there's just no revenue for some of those areas that are involved in the transfers. That's why the transfers were initially put into House Enrolled Act 1009. I think that's another point I guess I'd make is running a school corporation is kind of like running a city. I mm -hmm. mean, there are all sorts of different uh, parts of it. So, you know, teachers, teachers learning, students, those are the by far the biggest priorities, but there are a lot of other expenses that go into it. Sure. Yeah, and if, John, if you wanted to talk a little bit about yeah, 1003. Yeah, the, uh, the 8515 suggestion, or, or however you refer to it, we, we had analyzed it as it was uh, being discussed, and, and I think we're fortunate enough that our, our past three, four, five-year history was right about that for that type of spending. So we were the state average, roughly, so we're just currently trying to monitor. I, I think our current budget had us at just over 15%. But it's not the budget you go by, it's the actual. So uh, we did all the, the things we're supposed to about the transfer coming into place and, and what we've got it at. We were just talking this morning about, um, you know, as the year gets towards the end and you want to sort of have met the uh, intent of the discussion to be under the 15 percent, if we're hovering just over it, how do we sort of modify our information and maybe do a little less of a transfer between uh, the education to the operations fund uh, to keep us in and around right at the 15 percent. So we're, we're very aware of it and trying to, to stay without, in, in a sense, growth in the operations fund, but also to be very aware that um, there, there's a lot of give and take on both sides, and there's some revenues that we were allowed to keep in our operations fund while most of them had to go to education fund, and that factors into how much you'd have to transfer. and. You have to follow the state guidance to the letter of the law by the account numbers as to which expenses you're allowed to pay out of the education fund or the operations fund. So in some sense, uh, we've had the discussion that, that Chris was leading towards that you really, your hands are very tied in which goes to which one, and if the revenues drop, your percents could change pretty quickly between the 85, 15, and, and you wouldn't have a lot of leverage to move anything or, or pay in a different way. So it, it, it's an is issue to keep an eye on while we're we're doing our best to, to stick to roughly the 8515 or so Monroe County. Just to, to clarify for me and maybe somebody else out there that doesn't quite understand. So the 85% is for the education fund. Yeah. And that's basically teacher salaries? Yeah. Basically, Basically, yeah. okay. Administrators in the building, yeah. salaries on top of it, et cetera. So in the operations fund, the other 15%, I mean, where what are a couple of items that you might well, have to look at? The operations fund in, in the previous year combined the former transportation, okay. capital projects, uh, bus replacement, and then the portion of the former general fund that was not uh, teachers and administrators at the buildings, in a sense, the human resource office, business office, some of the uh, core functions, but not directly tied to a building. So it, it, it's put all those together, and that that source or, or that new fund is is to be in and around the 15 uh, percent, uh, or or the portion that was uh, uh, formerly in the general fund is is meant to stay at around 15 percent of its previous uh, spending or the or the spending of the the total of what the general fund used to be is mm -hmm. and, and superintendent salaries you know we need to be transparent that that's in the operations side and i think that's the focus of uh some of uh, of 1003 too okay all right um so i want to ask senator bray again i mean when you the legislature is a is a has a lot of different issues that you're talking about i mean it seems like 
education funding got a very high had a very high priority this year in the session. Do you think it had a higher priority than typical? Uh, I don't know if it had a higher priority than typical. It's always one of the top priorities, certainly when we do the budget, and there's two reasons for that, I guess. One is it's the most important function that the state has is to educate our youth, no doubt about that. And uh, second, it is by and by far and away the largest budget item. It is is fifty is over fifty percent of the uh, of the thirty five billion dollar state budget that we put together. Uh, the second being Medicaid, which is fifteen percent. So it is substantially larger than anything else, and so it needs to be the top priority. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jeannie. Um, I was curious, the, as the budget agreement was kind of announced uh, leading to the end of session, there were uh, groups of school, uh, school-focused groups uh, that backed it. Chris, you were up there uh, with uh, business officials, school boards, um, and uh, I think it was Speaker Bosma mentioned like a list of 10 things um, that would lead to those groups supporting the budget agreement. And I did not ask this question at the time, so now that you're here, can you tell us about about what maybe some of those items were that yeah. led to the school group support? Yeah, it was the TAG grant. It was a certain amount of tuition support each year. It was uh, improving the safety grant. Um, uh, the kindergarten date um, change that allowed to count those students who were uh, 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 five by the uh, preceding date, and there's some cl- clarification on that. Those were the, the top ones on there, uh, just improving all those categorical funding items uh, and a certain level of tuition support each year. We'd seen some you know budget runs with a little more the first year and a little less the second year, and um, you know, Denny uh, from IASPO uh, is our historian, has been there for many years and is well-respected and helped uh, guide us on the numbers. But you know, when we look back at the, or at least I did for my membership, at tuition support um, and kind of what had been added to the budget of the last previous years, if we hit those targets, uh, it was going to be about a quarter million more in tuition support than had been in any previous budget since '09. So uh, we saw, you know, 644,000 or 644. Uh, million in improvement in the tuition support by the targets we set so uh, we felt comfortable saying that was a success for public education and then as we had spoke about maintaining the uh, 70 million uh, to support public schools because the 70 million in uh, that supports uh, the teacher retirement in each year of the budget we saw that as a definite uh, plus for public schools so they, those were the major elements can I weigh in on that just yeah, real sure. quickly? I want to just say it, that speaks to the collaborative effort that we've already talked about here. And uh, in my experience, it was just a wonderful opportunity to get together with all those uh, groups that are so interested in, uh, in advocating for our schools and our kids. And to set out those 10 goals at the beginning of this legislative session, those looked like stretch goals, and frankly, they were. But to be very clear about what you thought we could do and what was important to you really helped us focus on what needed to be done. And so uh, we were just couldn't be more pleased to be able to um, achieve those goals and have everybody standing at the table with us at the end to uh, to talk about what we've been able to do. Really, really helped us. And we saw the collaboration. There was always transparency between the staff members about what the budget numbers were and what Medicaid was coming in and the revenue forecasts. And, um, you know, that's public data and available. And we did see a collaborative process. And in the end, everybody gave a little. Right. I mean, virtual schools went down. Um, you know, there was, um, you know, the, there's nothing perfect that pleases everybody. We're we're trying to work together to drive as many dollars as we can. Uh, we're working with the urban schools, and then we didn't speak about the complexity index because that had been a huge issue in the budget Absolutely. runs that we we saw. And then you know, the final solution even protected the complexity index a little bit so that the cuts in the second year of the budget didn't hurt as poorly. And that really helped some uh, small and rural schools where uh, have seen a, a rise in, in poverty in, in some pockets, especially in, in southern Indiana, that we've been able to document. So the, kind of a, a savings uh, of how much the hurt was in the second year of the budget complexity index was not something we all agreed to, but it was a, a definite benefit and surprise. And I know it helped those individual members of the General Assembly across the state, too, when looking at their own line items for their schools. We did get a comment that uh, came in, and it was um, 
from a teacher, and I want to get your reaction to this because she believes that the uh, she wishes there was a teacher on the panel here today because she thinks that you're all being too optimistic about what the legislature did. Uh, any reaction to that? Um, yeah, Laura, you want to go first? Yeah, I, I really appreciate um, that feedback. I, I, I think that the voice of an educator on a discussion related to school finance and school funding is is one of the most important voices that you can have in that conversation. So to her point, I think that that's, that's really valid. Um, I will say, as superintendent of a school district that is uh, realizing uh, revenues that are um, lower, <laughs> increasingly lower um, uh, over the next few years here, and then again, uh, tied to enrollment, um, it's really been our educators that have been uh, those that have really stepped up to ensure that the experience of boys and girls in the classroom uh, is never negatively impacted, even though the dollars that we're receiving are lower. Uh, our educators are those that come to school every day and make sure that uh, our boys and girls get the highest quality, world-class education. Uh, they are extraordinary. Um, so to that point, um, I do believe that an optimistic outlook is, is important. Um, when we look to the future for our school district, we are looking for ways that we can uh, turn a, a few data points around. And I really feel it's, it's my responsibility as the leader of the school district to uh, lead that effort. We are um, being optimistic in ways that we can design programming so that we are having more uh, students choose Brown County as uh, and, and families choosing Brown County schools as the place to um, educate their children for um, a very small school uh, experience where class sizes are extraordinarily small. Um, one of the blessings of a lower enrollment is that you have um, class sizes of 15 to 18 um, where um, uh, once again, uh, the experience is, is un, unrivaled in kind of world-class opportunities that one would never expect uh, in a smaller school uh, setting. I think that all small rural schools in the state of Indiana are doing that. Um, we are extraordinarily innovative. Um, we do not have uh, layers and layers of personnel that uh, you know allow for lots and lots of um, hands on programming. But I think what we do is we um, make sure that the school day uh, for our boys and girls is one um, that would never be different from what a larger school district is able to offer. Uh, so to that end, I believe fundamentally that an optimistic um, sort of positive outlook on um, challenges that, that come our way uh, is the only way uh, that we as educators are, are able to move forward um, when we have uh, hurdles like a declining enrollment scenario so that we can turn those data points around so that the, um, uh, the tide can change a little bit. Um, but to that end, uh, you know, thank you to our educators for the work that they do. Um, they are making uh, amazing happen uh, every day uh, for, for those students. We would love for any teacher that wants to call to get on the air yeah. that way. They can give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. And also you can send us a question at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us um, at Noon Edition. We did have someone comment. Uh, this one actually came in on Facebook. Um, and, Senator Bray, it's really for you. It talks about a meeting that was in your, your office a month or so ago with some teachers and school board members from Martinsville. Right. Who That's your school corporate, your hometown school corporation. Absolutely. Like your kids go to school there. And they, I guess, were, uh, I'll just paraphrase, they were disappointed in the outcome. Well, I know that. And uh, so the same as Superintendent Hammock has indicated, they, Martinsville's problem there is that they're losing students as well. A good number of them over forecast maybe 353 over the next biennium. And so uh, the challenge there is that uh, they're, getting, they're getting a couple hundred dollars more per student uh, Martinsville is, just like most other school districts across the state. And that's a very good thing. And um, uh, however, when you start to lose that number of students, you're going to lose money. And they're going to lose to the tune of about $800,000. Now that's about, it's under 3% of their budget, but it's still a really large number and puts really some, some uh, difficult decisions on their plate. And uh, the thing that we discussed when they were good enough to come up to see me, and that was uh, school board members, teachers, and uh, some other folks is that uh, they were very concerned about the complexity index as it came out of the house 
and rightfully so. And we worked on that some more and tried to make that a little bit more uh, effective, except you can only do so much when you're going to lose um, a few hundred students. You're going to lose some money there. And uh, now I think at the end of the day, had we not, had they not experienced any increase in that per student amount, they would have probably lost about two and a half million dollars. So we were able to pr uh, sh shrink that and make it a loss of 800,000. But I don't pretend that that's not a huge challenge for our school system. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys, uh, two or three of you, I'm sorry for the informal you guys, that, that was <laughs> not very professional. Um, the complexity index, you've mentioned that a, uh, a couple of different times. Can somebody explain that a little bit to, to us? Because I said this is kind of a difficult issue for some of us to understand. I'll, I'll take a shot at it. If you're baking a cake and you put some icing on it, it makes it a little bit sweeter. Uh, the complexity index was some funding that was added to tuition support based on uh, students uh, from poverty, and it's to assist in saying there may be some added cost to helping those students overcome the circumstances they may be facing with. And it's a mixture of uh, uh, direct certifications for, through FFSSA uh, from TANF and SNAP and then foster care. And it was sort of a, a really confusion on what our foster care number was. And so schools report, I would just say from the school perspective, f students in foster care receive usually free textbooks. And so we're reporting some data to DOE uh, on what foster care numbers, FSSA numbers for foster care were different. And so uh, improved economy, uh, we've been working on a plan we, the state of Indiana, has had a plan to slowly decrease what the complexity index has made up of the total tuition support and been putting more in the actual tuition support side. So it's been decreasing over time, and then the new data came in, and the complexity index amount would be a lot less. So that's a very simplistic. It's all right. It's helpful. Mm -hmm. From Thank our you. perspective, we um, uh, everything Chris said, we're, we understand about uh, uh, the uh, poverty nature of the complexity. But we think since it's not like some of the other state funding where maybe you do a percentage of what your district has in a, in a special education area or a uh, poverty area, this is, the complexity index is to all students once it's calculated. So we tend to think of the basic tuition support amount that was raised by the legislature and the complexity index in combination since the math on it is is your overall uh, ADM count or enrollment. Um, so we kind of combine them so that if the complexity dropped but tuition support went up, we kind of think, well, what's the overall increase between the two? And, th and that's how we're viewing this legislative cycle, even though we're aware that the complexity index uh, did decrease, uh, but tuition support went up in a in a favorable way also. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I would love to hear from all of you um, is just the way that the funding formula works focuses a lot on enrollment and with the pressure on enrollment and how it can change so much <laughs> in such a short time um, and <coughs> the, the pressure of school competition between public school districts, but also other types of schools. I guess I just wonder with with how things are playing out with, you know, teacher pay being vastly different between different districts and funding being different between different districts. If any of you have thoughts on, you know, maybe potentially changing the way that the state funding formula works in some way to gain a little bit more stability or, or predictability in, in school funding just moving forward. I, I don't know how feasible that would be or what that would look like, but I'm just curious what uh, any of your thoughts are on that. Well, you know, I'll, I'll weigh in a little bit there. And uh, I think over the years, even before I was in the legislature, it was determined that uh, the money following the student is a very fair way to do that, and I think that's still the case. Uh, in past years, again, prior to my being in the legislature, they would take schools that were uh, perhaps dropping in enrollment and um, uh, say they're not going to drop below a certain amount. And that does create some stability, and so it's worth maybe taking a look at that kind of an idea, but never, ne never, dis never under misunderstand that if you do that, and you let a school that's dropping in numbers, um, then but you don't take the 
take a decrease in the tu- the tuition that they get, the tuition dollars that they get, then a school that is increasing in numbers is not going to get an increase for the new students that they get, and they absolutely are going to have additional costs. And so, you have a fairness issue there across the board. And uh, I, I don't I don't um, suggest at all that this doesn't create some challenges for schools that are losing population, but uh, it's a it's a fairness idea that was kind of adopted a number of years ago. And do you think school referenda could play a role in, I guess, the fairness of that? If, if schools are gaining enrollment, you know, people might like what those schools are doing and the community might be supportive to a referendum? I, that's just something on my mind with you next know, week. Perhaps on the referendum idea for me, I, I worry a little bit about that because there are communities across our state where they can take a referendum and the school, the, the people in the school district are going to support that every time. Uh, there aren't a lot of those. Most of the places that have a referendum, are either, it's either not going to be successful or they have to really work very hard to sell it and they're not going to be able to go back to that well very often. And the concern I have there is that you might, over, over time, have a disparity between school systems where those schools can go to the well of that referendum frequently, continue to bring more money in, and other schools that can't. And that... and. You know, we, we really value the opportunity to have equal equal opportunity in whatever school district you're in to get an excellent education that will qualify you to be successful in life, whether it's college or other technical careers. And we want to make sure that that uh, parity remains. All right. We have a, just a few minutes to go. If you have a question or a comment that you haven't uh, gotten in yet, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington. Toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Anybody else have any thoughts about uh, Jeannie's question? Yeah, Chris. We are concerned about this, you know, strict dollars following the students, obviously, for our membership. is uh, Many of them are decreasing, but it's also because our population is decreasing in rural Indiana. And we're going to get to a point where it's putting pressure on special ed co-ops, CTE co-ops. We're starting to see uh, schools that work together and special ed co-ops starting to dissolve and break apart because they're so driven by dollars following the student. You know, co-op used to be the model. We all paid in. It was sort of an insurance policy. Some days or some years you're going to have higher cost with special ed based on your student population. Other years you're going to have less. Well, now there's so much pressure on those dollars following the students. Uh, superintendents and boards are looking at what they're paying into co-ops and it's putting pressure and questioning, can we afford this? Well, right now our costs aren't that high. Well, they're not, but maybe in three or four years you could see a very, very high year. So we're starting to see some dominoes down the road of the dollars following the students that are affecting things in larger uh, perspectives than just the district. Uh, you know, the, the push for consolidation is informally there. There's no official policy for it, but you know, our members feel it, and we believe in local control and trying to figure out how locally can we address this. We feel like there's a little bit of a mixed message from the General Assembly that on one hand, we said the referendum is provided as an option, and then there will be some legislation that tries to limit it. Um, you know, the safety referendum kind of came out, and then there's some some things there that would really limit your ability to do another referendum if you did a safety referendum. So we think it's going to be something we're going to have to look at as a state. Uh, there's some other states that help with uh, a rotating fund for building and facilities. So Ohio does something like that where it's, uh, you know, not every year, but there's some sort of rotation. If you uh, Maybe if you were working on a school consolidation project, there was some funding where you could access to, to help alleviate the cost there. Um, we would love to kind of look at some of that because we are reaching the point where some local communities are brainstorming and figure out how do they work together to do this and um, there might be some need for resources. In the previous budget there was a five million dollars set aside to help schools with a kind of a school consolidation grant but everything was based on after you're done with the process you could apply for the grant funds and that didn't help people where they're trying to have cooperative board meetings between two school districts or uh, they need some help doing some studies or things like that. So uh, it's something we're going to look at right now. The focus was, you know, teacher salaries, but I think we're going to have to get into uh, some deeper weeds on this and figure it out. 
I understand the issues before urban schools and, and uh, uh, suburban schools when you talk about a guaranteed minimum funding. Uh, that's why it went away. There were some growing school districts that were uh, not doing well in the funding formula uh, because of what was called an ordinary ghoster. There's no easy solution. You know, this goes all the way back to the 1970s. There were school districts when we froze the tax rates back in the 70s that were considered rich districts based on where they were on their local property tax support, and there were poor districts. And we've been going toward this, uh, you know, every child has the same value in Zionsville as in Brown County uh, since then, and um, we're, we're going to have to work together and, and look at it. I have one quick comment from a, a reader or a listener, and then I have one uh, quick question for you. We only have about two minutes to go. Uh, a teacher who sent in another note says a little extra tag money will not make much difference to teachers. We will still have to work two or more jobs to support our families as teachers. So just want to make that comment. Uh, the other question I had for the last minute and a half now is about uh, security and safety grants, and I guess I want to ask the the superintendent of schools, Laura Hammock, uh, do you have, I mean, do you have safety needs in your corporation, and has the state done enough to address them, help you address them? Yeah, I was really pleased to see that more dollars were allocated uh, uh, for this purpose. Um, uh, truly, uh, school safety and security has um, become the priority uh, for the work that we uh, do, and uh, that would not have been the case, you know, if we were having this conversation 10, 15 years ago, right? So um, in Brown County, we have a profound need for increased resources for uh, advancing our school safety uh, protocols. Um, we, uh, for the first time this school year, because of a secured school safety grant, were able to deploy our first school resource officer. It's been uh, a really wonderful opportunity for us to be able to add that value uh, to the experience of our campus schools and our outlying schools as well. And also a really neat opportunity to be able to engage in a collaborative partnership with our sheriff's department. So just, again, increasing those abilities to have conversations. So uh, we were very pleased to see those uh, additional resources and we intend to go after them okay that's we are out of time i want to thank you that was a good good answer to end up on uh, that was laura hammock the superintendent of brown county schools thank you also to senator rod bray chris lagoni from the indiana small and rural school association and john kinney from the monroe county community school corporation for Jeannie lindsay our co-host today the producers sarah wetmeyer patrick mcgurr and benta boutier and engineer mike pashkash i'm bob zaltzberg thanks for listening Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, Fiber Internet, Streaming TV, Home Security, and Automation in Southern Indiana. More information at Smithville.com. And from The Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.